Good morning, church. Glad to see you guys. Everybody feel full from Thanksgiving still? No? <laughs> still need it today, that's right. All right, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. Uh, if you're new in the room, we're especially glad for your visit. We'd love to, to know that you're here by filling out the card in the seat back in front of you, dropping it in the gift boxes on your way out, and we'll contact you in a respectful way. Now, this is week 15 of 16 in the book of Galatians. So we're wrapping it up. We're closing in on the conclusion of Galatians and I have really enjoyed going through this book with you guys. I hope that you've enjoyed it too. It's been a rich time just considering what the gospel is, this good news of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on the behalf of everyone who believes. And so today I pray that he'll continue to give us further clarity on what it is to believe him and to trust in him for our righteousness. Now, I am grateful to be back up here today. I, I uh, Missed you guys last week. It's good to see some of your faces. If you're tuning in online, we'd love to know that you're there too by dropping a comment. So let's read this passage together. And we're going to start with the passage from last week, verses 1 through 5. And then we'll get to verses 6 through 10, which is what I'm going to be focused in on today. And let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not Give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's pray together. Father, thank you for this, your word. I pray that we would receive it with glad hearts. Pray that you would sow among us the seeds of the gospel once again, that it would bear forth fruit, and that we would be um, a people just committed to cultivating what you've planted in our lives. That we wouldn't sow to the flesh, God, but we would sow to what you're accomplishing in our lives. I pray that this would be so for the sake of your great name, Jesus. Amen. So, as I already said, this is week 15 out of 16, looking at the book of Galatians. And as we wrap up the book of Galatians, I want to summarize where we've been. In the first section of this book, Paul is defending the fact that he's an apostle. People had come in and told them that maybe he didn't have any authority to be talking to them about what the gospel really was. And so the first third of the book is him saying, look, guys, trust me. I know Jesus. I walk with him. You can trust the message of what I've brought to you. The second portion of this book is the correction that he's saying salvation cannot be earned. 
It's a free gift. And receiving and believing what Jesus has done for you is the only way by which you can be saved and be counted righteous before God. So that's the second portion of the book. And there's those, there were people that had come in and tried to mislead the church and add things to their salvation. But the rituals and the law that they were adding to their salvation, there was these things they couldn't add to it. It was only taking away. They were absent from the presence and power of Christ. And not only is Paul making the gospel clear to them, he also makes it clear throughout this book that their progress in the Christian faith is not due to some rite or to some ritual that they could potentially perform. And so all throughout the book, he's not only saying that the gospel of grace is only by faith in Jesus Christ, And the progress that you make in the Christian faith is not some kind of market exchange where you could do some good things and then God gives you your development. So if we have nothing to do with our salvation, but to hear and to believe, what do we have to do with our development? Which is the third part of this book. He's saying, how do you grow as a Christian? How do you walk by the Spirit? What does it look like? And over the last few weeks, we've considered, what does it look like for us to live in step with the Spirit of God, living in and through the life of every believer? And he's continuing to answer the question. So if we can't fulfill the law by any good works, what does it look like for the law to be fulfilled in us? And he answers this question with several different places in this passage. He's saying that we cultivate intimacy with God and our relationships with one another. Then this harvest of holiness And God's righteous law is fulfilled in us. I'm going to say that again. As we cultivate intimacy with God and our relationships with one another, the harvest of God's righteousness being fulfilled in us happens. So today we land on the third part where he's talking about what does it look like for us to grow in our faith? And if I could sum it all up to one statement, it would be this. Every single decision of a believer point towards a destination. It's this law of sowing and reaping. Now, this is a really challenging thing because most people have never um, planted anything that they've eaten before, okay? So most of us in this room, the only thing we can understand about what we eat is that you go to the grocery store and someone else bought, someone else put the seeds in the ground, someone else cultivated the ground, and someone else brought the food to the store so you can bring it to your house. But... For in any way possible for us to understand this, I prayed that maybe some way we could understand this idea of cultivation. Maybe you're familiar with the idea of planting and harvesting when it comes to diet and exercise. Now, for most of us in the room, the genetics are settled, okay? For all of us, the genetics are settled. You're born with what you're born with, and none of us are going to be the next Michael Phelps, right? But let's just say that you were genetically twins with Michael Phelps. And it's been given to you, okay? You could potentially win as many Olympic medals as Michael Phelps. It's been handed to you. Without your doing. What you do with that gift is of utmost importance. There's still this opportunity for every believer to take what God has done in our lives that we could not do for ourselves and to cultivate what Christ is hoping to 
bear in your life, the fruits that He's hoping to bear. This idea of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvesting, there's a law in place in the natural world and in the life of every believer that just because you've received your justification by faith, reaping the righteousness of Jesus by faith alone, doesn't mean that there's not something that we do today so that the fullness of God's power is in, at work in us. So every single decision, even in the life of a believer, leads towards a destination. There are no neutral decisions when it comes to our moving and walking and staying in step with the Spirit. So today, as we consider our personal development and responsibilities within the body of Christ, my hope is that we would not be deceived in some way that maybe our behavior doesn't matter. Okay? There's a way that we could be deceived that our behavior no longer matters because of what Christ has done for us as a gift of his grace. And so it matters how we treat one another, how we invest in one another, and ultimately how we're cultivating a life of holiness by God's grace. So what role do we play in the community of faith? And then what role do we play individually as we cultivate uh, holiness? And so I want to, uh, before I get to this, there, there's two places that this whole passage is going. First, the community of faith. What does it look like to cult cultivate a harvest of righteousness within the community of God's people? And then the second part is what does it look like to cultivate what God's already doing in the individual life of believers? And so I want to uh, first just think about this word of cultivation, okay? And because we do live very distant lives from planting and harvesting our food, I just want to think for a moment about the farmer. Cultivation has elements of both surrender and responsibility, right? There's something that you cannot control. You absolutely cannot control. It's a work that you couldn't produce. Now, you can plant a seed in the ground. You can hope that the seed will bear fruit. But there's some element of it that you just surrender what's been done. And then the second element is responsibility. And so part of the way that we cultivate the righteous life that God desires for every believer is within the context of the community. So the passage that we're diving into today is connected to the one before. And so I want to kind of lead up to verse 6, which is where I'm starting. And I want to go over what the principles are of cultivating a uh, the community of faith. The fruits of the Spirit that are talked about back in chapter 5 are best enjoyed within community, right? To, to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The ways that we enjoy those fruits are by uh, living in the context of a community. Now, I want to recap where we were last week. Verse 1 deals with confrontation and restoration. Verse 2, bearing one another's burdens. Verse 5, bearing our own load. And then verse 6 is where we're beginning today, sharing with one another in ministry. And so this pursuit of God is not just an individual pursuit. What he's saying is it has context within the people that you surround yourselves with, okay? So I want to go through each of these. The verse 1 is this, confrontation and restoration. To both be part of one another's lives when we correct and restore one another with gentleness. If anyone is caught in sin, restore them with gentleness. There's a general attitude of dealing with sin and not ignoring it. 
Not dismissing it, but moving people as a group of people together towards restoration. This is an exhortation, both personal and guarding against temptation and corporate in how we look at each other as we pursue Christ. Second verse says this, bear one another's burdens. To bear one another's burdens means that we have a role in one another's lives when it comes to people's trials, uh, hardships, that there's a way that individuals are shouldering a burden that when you look around each other in the congregation of faith, you're saying, hey, I have a responsibility and how other people are shouldering the load that they're under. This means encouragement and support and care. Don't, and then it goes on to say, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think rightly about the role that you're playing. Don't go looking for that, boys, uh, whenever you're in the context of the church. Don't look for that. Don't look for thank you notes. Just play your role well. And at the end of the day, verse 5, bear your own load. In other words, don't be consumers. The body of Christ wasn't made for us to come here and to take things only. There's a way that we do take but there's a way that we bear under our own load. And so this tension in the life of every believer should be always asking the question, what role do I play in others' lives and what burden do I alone bear when it comes to the body of Christ? So when you look at this place, this group of people today and the people that are gathered here weekly under the banner of of Bellwether Church, there's a way in which we participate in cultivation together. So if you want to see Galatians 5.22, those fruits of the Spirit, we do that by participating together. And then verse 6, which is kind of awkward, honestly, for me to talk about. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things for the one, with the one who teaches. In other words, there's a way in which in Christian ministry we take care of those. There's not some separate class, okay, of the one teaching. And there's two ways that this is awkward. First of all, abuse. There's so many ways that that pastors and people in spiritual roles have abused that role, either by not working hard or dialing in their sermons or not praying through the decisions of leadership, running on talent rather than God's presence, avoiding the difficult work of shepherding. You know what sheep smell like? They smell like sheep, okay? There's a way in which shepherds can abuse this role. Avoiding coaching and leading and loving people through the various seasons of life and development of godliness and character. That's one reason it's awkward. It's also awkward because of congregations abusing this. If you ever see your tithe as a means of paying for services rendered, that's the wrong way to see that. There's a way that you can see what you contribute to the church as a way of controlling your voice when it comes to the church. When you like things, you give. When you don't like things, you don't. Maybe it's a way of your ego being stroked. Maybe you're more inclined to give when things feel better for you as an individual rather than through the community. So the command here, though, is not to contribute in alignment with what you receive, but to share all things. So... There's some risk, yes, that you see the person who teaches the word as some other class, either above you, and let me just tell you, get to know me, you will know that I'm not, or below you. 
And so the correction here in God's word as we cultivate the community around faith is that we would share all good things with one another, that we don't see the one who teaches as some lower class or some higher class from the people who are receiving God's word. And so this is one of the ways that we participate in the community of faith. Faithfulness looks like sharing your life and all good things with the person responsible for teaching the word, not paying for services rendered, but sharing fellowship, okay? Huge difference. Doing life in such a way that those who serve within the context of the church are able to share in the life of the community with you. So good provisions that God is giving through the church. Now, I just want to commend this church in the way that they've taken care of me and my family, for the way that the core of this community is sharing all things together. I see that happening, and I just want to say this is beautiful. This is good. Before I move on to the second part of cultivating, I just want to ask you a few questions as we consider that the Christian life is not some solo sport, okay? It's something that happens within the context of a family of faith. It's a place where restoration is practiced. Loving, gentle, kind restoration, okay? We don't treat sin as if it's no big deal, and we don't treat sin as if it will exclude you forever, We treat it as something serious. Restoring one another in gentleness. Bearing our own load and seeing the role that we play within this community. We don't come here just as consumers. We look around and say, okay, what is the burden that others are bearing in this place and within my group and within the places that I'm praying for one another and exhorting them and encouraging them so that they're not alone under the trials that they stand under. We're not coming here as individuals only, but part of sharing in the grace of Christ means that we distribute it to to those around us. And in this, where fellowship is happening, those who teach the word receive with those who receive the word, and the holiness of God, the fruits of God's spirit, are demonstrated among us as a community. As I said before, the fruits of the spirit are best enjoyed together. Now, this leads to the second point of this sermon. As he moves forward from verse 6 to verse 7, he begins to talk about what it looks like for us as individuals to also cultivate personal holiness. Now, back up in chapter 5, Paul had begun to use the individual life of a believer, and he used this analogy of the flesh and the spirit being opposed to one another. You guys remember that? A few weeks ago, we talked about how in the life of every believer, there's this war going on. The desires of your flesh are opposed to the desires of the spirit, and these things are in conflict with one another. Just because you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that your flesh somehow is completely transformed. Now, your heart, your desires for the Lord have been completely transformed. But there's still enough sin abiding in you, in your flesh, for there to be a major conflict going on all the time with your thoughts and your actions. Which leads to this point. How do we, how do we cultivate personal holiness? And there's a few things going on in this, probably more than what I've observed, but there's a few principles happening. And the first one is this, do not be deceived. Do not be confused, which means that there's a way for every Christian to somehow 
be deceived. You could be, some, you could be misled. And the first principle of cultivating personal holiness is to be aware that you could be misled and to be aware that there is a deceiver. So how could we be uh, deceived? Now, we have both the devil, the world, and our flesh opposed to the Spirit of God bearing these kinds of fruits in our lives. First place you see the deceiver is in Genesis chapter 3. He was crafty. He misled Adam and Eve, and he's been doing the same thing ever since, trying to mislead the words of God, or the people of God, and his words to confuse them. Not only do we have the enemy in Genesis 3, we have our own hearts. Now, we've been made a new creation, but we also need to understand this battle. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and despairingly sick. Who can understand it? That means that those of us who are outside of Christ, we need a new heart. We need a new creation because we are prone to deceive ourselves. And for those who've received a new heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone, we need to know that part of the, the, uh, the remnants of our flesh are still crying out within us, desiring things. Jesus said in Matthew 15, he said this, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. We don't just need to know that there's like deceptive things going on in the world from the devil, from our flesh. We need to know that we're inclined to be deceived. Here's what I mean. Our sinful flesh is not only capable of deception, we love to assume the best possible outcomes of sinful behavior. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can paint a great perspective picture of where the sin will not lead you. It will not lead you that, to, to that bad of a place. It's not going to yield the fruit that maybe we should be concerned about. Now, this is just a cry to you to know ourselves. So one way that we could be deceived is that we don't understand that our decisions actually matter. That our behavior matters. Yes, we're saved by grace and there's nothing we can do to add to that and still be a Christian and there's nothing that, that any behavior that we have, it still has consequences. We need to understand that. That's the way that he's saying, you could be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. Your decisions still have consequences. Another way that we could be deceived is first that our decisions don't matter. Second is, is who is actually a Christian that people can potentially behave in any way and still be a Christian. The rule of God is that he's not going to be mocked. There's nothing that he doesn't see. There's nothing that will not eventually be reckoned to his design. He's going to make all things new and he's not going to be mocked. So how could he be mocked? Well, it could be that we just ignore him. Sometimes we could scoff at him, but more often than not, in the life of a believer, is just acting as if God doesn't exist. That he doesn't exist in our day-to-day -day lives. That's a way that we could potentially mock God and be deceived. That he's not involved in our decisions. And the third way that we could be deceived is this. That God is somehow opposed to our effort. Okay? 
Let me say that again. Third way we could be deceived is that God is somehow opposed to our effort. God is opposed to your earning of grace. He is not opposed to your effort. The ways that Jesus described following him included picking up a cross, putting your hand to a plow. There's going to be great difficulty. Your flesh is opposed to God's work. That's what it said in chapter 5. There's this battle raging inside of you. And here's just a, a great example of this gift of grace and the way that we participate in it. In 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 5, beginning in chapter 6, it says this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? that we would receive this free gift. And now verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, we introduced these uh, chapter titles. You understand that, okay? We added those to the original letter. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, there's something that Jesus has done on your behalf that you could not possibly do for yourself. And there's also a risk that God could give you your grace and there would be some ways that we abuse it and we take it in vain. What would it look like? It would look like us receiving this and going, well, I'm secure for heaven. I'll just hang out and wait. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive this good grace in vain. So, there's something that only God can do that he's done for you. There's something that only God can do that he wants to accomplish through you. And he's inviting you to participate as he brings about those fruits in your life. Second principle. So first principle of cultivating personal holiness is this. Don't be deceived, okay? Don't be deceived. <laughs> Don't be misled. You do reap what you sow. And there's a way that God's inviting you to participate with him and what he's developing in you. Principle number two. You reap what you sow. So what is sowing? It means you plant seeds. Seeds are these little specks that are full of potential to yield a harvest it's the investment of our attention and energy and time and resources. It's the giving of ourselves and our loves to something. You sow to the flesh and you're going to reap corruption. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, sexual immorality, uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all the things like this. That's how he describes it. So you can either plant seeds that look like that. So what does it look like to plant seeds that look like that, that are going to reap corruption? John Stott says it this way. Every, I think it'll be on the screen. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, to entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh planting little seeds. Every time we linger in bad company who, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic 
character. Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we're sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. So if that's what it looks like to plant seeds to the flesh, what does it look like to plant seeds that harvest Galatians 5.22? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here's what I believe is the primary place that we cultivate holiness. We spend time with the Holy One. We occupy our minds with His presence and with His glory and with His beauty. The fruits of these things resemble the God who made these things. The only way that we cultivate these fruits is by spending time with Jesus, looking to him, enjoying him, admiring him, worshiping him, cultivating our affections to him and for him to abide in his love and become the one that we're loving, become like the one that we love. Abide in his holiness. And then we begin to resemble his holiness to abide with Him, to spend time in His presence through the Scriptures, through prayer, through just being with Him, to think about the things that He's done, to think about the things that He's doing. So, this is a principle of cultivation, that you cannot harvest something that you did not plant. Now, lucky for everyone in Christ, He's already planted His Spirit in us. That's the greatest blessing of all. Now, working together with him, do not let his grace towards you be in vain. Holiness is a harvest. It's a harvest. You sow to the flesh things that provoke the fleshly desires in you through what you listen to or read or look at or watch. The end result will be corruption. If you sow to the Spirit things that provoke the spiritual desires in you, time in God's Word, time singing to Him. Jonathan Edwards said one of the best ways to cultivate affection is to sing. When we sing these songs to our God and about Him, one of the ways that you can, I don't know if about you, but sometimes it just feels like being silent is appropriate because you don't feel the things that you're singing about. You don't really feel it. One of the arguments in, in religious affections is that we should sing so that those affections will be cultivated in us. Now, I just I have to ask you if there's this internal battle, and for those that are walking with Jesus, you know that it's so. Like there's some principle of this that you just, you've experienced it on a day-to-day basis, that there's your fleshly desires, the desire to be comfortable and to be admired and to just be still and satisfied. And then there's this desires of the Spirit where they desire to, your, uh, the Spirit desires to glorify God and to enjoy Him and to love Him. And I just want to ask you this, which side do you want to win? Because I don't want you to be deceived that there's definitely a dependence on Christ that is absolutely necessary to be victorious. 
And there's a way in which we participate with him as he brings those fruits out in our lives. He gets all the glory and we get to enjoy him. I want to warn you too, your sin will find you out. That's why confession is, is the way of those who follow Jesus. It's a sign of revival and renewal. Confession of sin. I love this story in Acts chapter 19, okay? There's this group of people who begin casting out demons. They're just Jewish guys. They don't follow Jesus, but they begin to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the demons look at them and they're like, uh, Jesus we've heard of, Paul we've heard of, we don't know who you are. And then they attack them and the guys run out naked and they're going crazy. I mean, it's insane. It's this crazy display and the fear of God is falling on everyone. And part of this revival of people are kind of respecting and revering God is they begin, many of those who were uh, believers came confessing and divulging their practices. In other words, they were like, hey, I know what I've sown here. <laughs> I know the seeds I've sown and I know what I deserve to reap. And I want to get rid of that. And they're like, let's just let's get rid of these things that we've sown into. So they begin to confess their sin to one another. Not because there aren't consequences for our sins here on earth. But because one of the ways that we acknowledge that sin's power is that we say, hey, this is something that I've sown in and I do not want to reap the destruction, okay? The accuser knows everything that you've ever known and he's hoping, just as Christ is hoping, that your life will reap something, corruption. And the accuser will tell you all of the ways that you've sown too many bad things and you can kind of beat him to the punch by saying, yes, I've sown to the flesh. I just want to keep moving through this. How do you cultivate individual, personal holiness? Third principle is this, to know the season. Look at verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not get up, give up. So you have to not only know that you could be deceived, you have to know that, that reaping and sowing is a principle. The third principle is that you should know the season, okay? That means that you pace yourself. Know your limits. Resting just like Jesus did. Keep in mind the season that you're in, but that some of you are in a season of harvest right now, and you've sown for years of spending time in God's Word and in prayer, and now God's reaping this harvest of righteousness in your life. Know the season that you're in. Okay? Some of you have planted a lot more than you've reaped. And this is just a cry to us to endure, that this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And then the last principle of cultivating personal holiness is opportunity. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Everyone. Know the opportunities. While we're in this season, in this fixed time, See that there's an opportunity today to plant and to cultivate and to grow things that God wants to grow in your life. Especially uh, goodness towards those in the household of faith and the family of faith. So, rather than pondering the opportunities that you've missed, verse 10 just invites us to look at the opportunity that's in front of you. 
look at it. If there's an opportunity to do good today, to sow, and to potentially reap in the future, that's what Christ is inviting us to look at. Now, before I close, I just want to, some of you are like, yeah, but what about forgiveness and grace? What about, like, I, I've, I've sown a lot more bad than good, and what about God, like, absolving all of that? Here's what I want you to know. Jesus, what he's sown in his life was ultimately what we could not sow. A perfect life of righteousness, his death, resurrection in our place for our sins. We get to reap the righteousness that only Christ could sow for us. For everyone who believes this is the greatest gift, the greatest exchange in our life is that we reap what Christ has sown in righteousness. That's the greatest gift. And as we receive that gift, the law of sowing and reaping still exists. Eternally, it may be absolutely settled. You've reaped something you could not sow. And today, there's a way in which you don't need to behave as if your uh, decisions don't matter. That your choices don't matter. There's eternal consequences that have been ultimately settled and there's a temporal consequences that continue to function, okay? This is part of God's wrath in the world, part of God's justice, is that eternally the law could be ultimately fulfilled by Christ and given to us, and then part of it still functioning in the world is that the decisions that you make matter. So I want to end with this question, what harvest am I cultivating? If you gratify the cravings of your flesh, there's going to be consequences. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to get corruption, disintegration. So I want you to consider the seeds that you're sowing. I just want to go through a few areas of your life. What are the intakes into your life? What do you consume? Where do you consume your news? What news feed are you paying attention to? Because all of those things are just coming into you. What books are you reading or listening to? What shows are you watching or binging? Every decision that we make, it will either sow to communion with God and enjoyment of his creation, or it will sow to our flesh that desires things that are opposed to God. So beware of the harvest that you're cultivating what if I told you that in three months you were going to fight the biggest MMA uh, fighter? Like the best that there is. I'm not going to argue about who that is, but let's just say that in three months you have a big fight coming up, okay? <coughs> Huge. Now during that, those three months, you have an opportunity to train both physically, mentally, emotionally, your diet, you're taking it in, you're doing all these things. I want to ask you, what would you feed yourself? And here's the catch, okay? You get the opportunity to choose the diet of your opponent, okay? You get to choose his diet or her diet. And I want to ask you, what would you feed your opponent? What would you feed the opponent that was coming against you? You have three months. You making that list in your mind? I don't know about you, but I try to starve this guy. I'm be like, I do not want you eating anything. I don't want you to feast on anything. I need to be stronger than you in every way. In the same way, what harvest are you currently cultivating? 
Because the battle lines are drawn. Just go back up and read chapter 5. There are things that are opposed to one another. And there's a way that you can plant and sow to one or the other. And even those of us who have believed in Christ, and ultimately it's been settled for us, there's a way in which we continue to receive his grace and cooperate with him as he brings about those fruits in our lives. I want to read this over you as a closing statement from Jude, verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself there. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Here's here's a harvest that I long for, for every person in this room, myself included, that we would keep ourselves in the love of Christ. We keep ourselves in that place. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you uh, for your truth today. I pray that it would be um, it would be good and pleasant that it would plant itself in us and bear forth fruit. For those that maybe walked into this room deceived about the consequences of their life right now, I pray that this would be a, a, a good, sweet, gentle correction. only by your strength that we'll be kept. It's only by your power that we grow and develop. I pray that as we receive this uh, grace from you, that your grace would work in us to both will and to work for your good pleasure. If there's things that, that we've sown to, I pray that you'd cut them off. that our flesh, those still present with us, would be quieted with these desires of your Holy Spirit in us, both willing and working for your pleasure, Lord. pray that this would be so in the life of everyone trusting in you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.